appreciate you. Thank yes, you. What a joy to be able to be here. I, I love being in a church where there's life. Uh, this church is an amazing church. You are doing some amazing things. God is doing some amazing things. Can you say amen to that? It's amazing. I, I love I love it when you walk into a place and there's people that are alive and loving the Lord and serving the Lord, and you have that here. And of course, your pastor and his wife and their family, what a great example, what a great blessing God has given you in them. And it's just been an honor to be able to get to know them and to, to be here in the church. Thank you uh, for allowing us the privilege. We're talking about raising kids. We're talking th this morning, I'm going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 6, raising children children for the glory of God. Children can be trying, and children sometimes are taught the wrong thing. I was, uh, I have, uh, I have 19 grandchildren, and uh, I had seven of them over at my house one day, and my daughter Faith was there, and, and she had hers, and then we had a couple of my daughters, uh, a Charity, I have three daughters, Charity, Faith, can you guess the last one? Hope, that's correct. I was going to say Bertha. But uh, and, uh, Charity, Faith, and Hope. And then we have our, older, our two oldest, our, our boys, and that's Matthew and Joshua. So we got the Old Testament and the New Testament covered, and we got the fruits of the Spirit. So, um, but uh, I had some of my, uh, my grandchildren over there. And I, my wife and my daughter were trying to get some things done, and the kids were all just making a lot of noise. And I said, hey, why don't I take the kids, and I'll just take them up to Mount Charleston. Mount Charleston is right outside of Las Vegas. When it's, when it's 100 degrees in Las Vegas, it's 70 degrees in Mount Charleston. And so it's 45 minutes away. And so I thought, you know, the kids don't want to be outside because it's hot. I'm just going to take them up uh, just put them in the van and take them up to Mount Charleston. We'll have a good time in Mount Charleston. And uh, as I was getting ready to leave, my wife said, hey, honey, don't forget. Why don't you get them all, get some sweatshirts uh, or uh, coats or something, because it's going to get cold up there. I said, it's not going to be that cold. It'll be okay. And she said, no, no, it's good. You should. I said, no, no, just forget it. I'm going to get them in the car and just get going. And so we got them in the, I got them in the van, and I'm driving them up to Mount Charleston. And the, the farther I'm getting up, the colder it's getting. It's getting colder, and, and I'm thinking, oh, my wife said I should have taken uh, the coat, and, uh, and I didn't take the coats, but it'll be okay. It'll be okay. Um, and, and so we get up there. It's not only cold. Now, the sun is shining, but the wind is blowing. And so we get out of the car, and, uh, and we're, I, I'm going to take them walking through these paths. And they said, the, the kids said, uh, uh, Grandpa, it's cold. I said, it's okay, just walk fast. Uh, it's going to be okay, just walk fast, and you know, we'll just, we'll do it. And, and Lincoln was like, he's about seven years old. Lincoln's right, right over here, and he's saying, Grandpa, I am really, really cold. And I said, you know what? I said, Grandma told me that I had to get coats for you. I should have listened to her. And, and he stopped in his tracks, and he said, Grandpa, why must you always sin and disobey Grandma? <laughs> so he taught wrong. I, I tried to straighten him out with that, but uh, it's a fun thing. What a wonderful thing God has given us when he's given us, entrusted to us lives to bring up for his glory. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, Deuronomy chapter 6 is an amazing passage. Uh, I'm going to give you a great theological chap uh, truth about Deuteronomy chapter 6. It comes right after Deuteronomy chapter 5. And you say, why is that significant? It, it's significant because in Deuteronomy chapter 5, Moses is speaking to the children of Israel, and he's reminding them about the Ten Commandments, and not just the Ten Commandments, he repeats every one of the Ten Commandments in, in Deuteronomy chapter 5. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, he reminds them of the story of how they got the Ten Commandments. He, they got the Ten Commandments by God said, listen, get, all, get dressed, get cleaned up, you're gonna you, uh, tell them all to get cleaned up and bring them over to the mountain. And they're going to surround the mountain. There's two million of them. They're going to surround this mountain. And I'm going to come down and I'm going to personally give them the Ten Commandments. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, we, we find out that God actually spoke vocally the Ten Commandments. And Moses reminds them, you remember, you saw the fire. You heard the thunder. You saw the lightning. You saw the smoke. And you heard the voice of God as he gave the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other God before thee. 
And thou shalt make no graven images. They heard the voice of God give them these commandments. And, and they, in fact, it shook them up. And they came to Moses and they said, Moses, we don't ever want to hear that again. That scared the daylights out of us. Let's make a deal. Let's hear. You, you can read this. It's an, a lot better from the Bible. But here's, they said, Moses, this is what we'll do. Why don't you go and talk to God in the mountain and then he can come back and he'll, t- and, uh, you come back and you tell us what he said and we'll do whatever you say that you tell us that he said. And Moses went to God and said, God, uh, they're a little afraid of your voice. Uh, would it be okay if you just tell me what you want them to hear and then I'll tell them? And God said, good idea. In fact, I'll, after you're gone, I'll raise up another prophet, another prophet, another prophet until the prophet comes, Jesus Christ. And so that's all recounted. All 10 of the commandments and the story of the giving of the 10 commandments is given in chapter, in chapter 5. We come to chapter 6 and this is what Moses continues to say. He says, now these are the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you. You remember, it was the Lord your God that commanded, commanded me to teach you these things. That you might do them in the land whether you go to possess it. Why did God give us the commandments? So that we would do them. Why does he want us to do them? Look at verse 2 and 3. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, now listen, thou and thy son and thy son's son. So he's talking about, he's talking about uh, parents, he's talking about people and parents and grandchildren. So tell, teach these to your children and to your grandchildren all the days of thy life that thy days may be prolonged. Why does he give us commandments? So that we'll have prolonged days. Why does he give us all these things? So so we'll be miserable? No, so we'll be happy. Look what it says in verse three. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee. God wants it to be well with us, that that you may increase mightily in the Lord. God wants us to increase. As the Lord God of thy fathers has promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. I want you to I want you to prosper. I want want you to to do well. I want you to grow. That's what I want. And if you'll obey these commandments, then you will. Well, the point is this. We know that no one can keep all of those commandments. In fact, there are people who try to keep the commandments in order to get to heaven. And the Bible says we can't do that. The Bible says we're all sinners. And that because we're sinners... None of us deserve to go to heaven. In fact, we all deserve to go to hell. The Bible says that we've all broken the commandments of God. But the Bible says God loves us in spite of the fact that we're sinners. And that's why God became a man. You see, the wages of our sin, what causes the, the, the punishment we receive for our sins is spiritual death, which separates us forever in a place called hell. God doesn't want us to be separated from him. But his justice demands that our sins be paid for. And so he didn't want us to have to pay for our own sin. So God became a man. As God, he could be everywhere at the same time. He could be in the past, present, and future all at the same time. And as man, he could die for all of mankind's sin at one time in space and time. So God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ to die and pay the penalty of our sin in our place. He was buried, left in the grave for three days and three nights to prove that he was dead. On the third day, he rose from the dead. He was seen by hundreds, even thousands of eyewitnesses. That proved that he was alive. People say, why do you believe that Jesus, that you believe in the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ? Listen, These people who saw it were willing to die for what they said they saw. They were willing to die. The people that wrote the New Testament were willing to die when they wrote those words. People aren't willing to die for something they know is a lie. He died. He was buried. He rose from the dead, was seen by hundreds of eyewitnesses, and then he went back to heaven. Now, he says, listen, 
You should try to keep the commandments, but I know you can't. And you're a sinner and you deserve to go to hell. But if you'll come to me and admit that you're a sinner and ask me to give you eternal life, I'll give you eternal life. The Bible says this, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All I have to do to be saved is come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I, I believe that you are God, that you died, that you paid for my sins, that you were buried, that you rose from the dead for me. And I know the only way I can get to heaven is by receiving what you did for me. And I want to ask you to be my Lord and my Savior and my God. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus said, anyone who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. All I have to do to get saved is ask Jesus to give me eternal life, and boom, I become a child of God. That's a wonderful truth. That's a wonderful truth. But now, I want, I want to live a successful life. I want to be, I want to, 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 to be happy in my life. And God says, hey, if you really want to be happy in your life, then keep these commandments. Well, how do I teach my children to keep the commandments of God so that they can prosper, so that they can be successful. How do I teach them to do that? The answer comes in the next two verses. In fact, these are the two verses that Jesus quotes when the Pharisees came and said, what are the greatest commandments? He didn't go back to any of the commandments that are listed in chapter 10 or chapter 5. He goes to this commandment, and this is what he quotes. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Here's the great commandment. Here's how you teach your children to keep the commandments of God. Here's how you teach your children to be successful. Here's what your job and my job, uh, what, what our job is to, towards our children. It's to teach them to love God with all their heart and all their soul and with all their might. And these words which I command thee this day, what words? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. What words? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. What? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. My job as a parent is to teach my children to love God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their might. And if they'll do that, they'll keep those commandments, and they'll be successful. They'll, they'll love because they love God with their whole heart, their whole soul, and their whole might. Wow, that's my job. <clears throat> that's your job as a parent. That's my job as a grandparent. That's your job as a grandparent. We are to teach the next generation to love God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their might. Well, how do you do that? How do you do that? I was in a missions conference in our church, and in the mornings in our missions conference, we had all the missionaries together, and we would talk about things that pertain to ministry. And we'd ask if there was any questions that anybody had about, uh, about ministry, and we would talk, just have a roundtable discussion about those things in ministry. One lady walked up one night and said, she said, uh, she said, preacher, would you do this for me? I said, what's that? She said, would, tomorrow, would you teach a lesson on how you raised five kids in Las Vegas to serve the Lord? She said, I look around here, and she said, all your, your, your sons are serving God, your children are serving God, they're all serving, they're all happy about it. They like love being here. They love serving the Lord. She said, how did you do that? I said, I'll be happy to teach that tomorrow. I went home and I said, honey, how did we do that? 
And my wife and I sat that evening and we, we, we uh, wrote down 13 different principles and I'm going to share some of them with you today. What we did to teach our children to love the Lord God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their might. Father, I pray you'll help me to communicate these truths to your people today. If there's someone here that's not saved, I pray, Father, hearing the gospel just a minute ago, Father, that you will help them understand no other way to get to heaven except by trusting you. And I pray they'll do that today. For the parents and grandparents and children that are here, use these, this message to glorify yourself, to, to, to draw them closer to you, and to, to understand your principles. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Several things. Number one, pray for your children every day. Pray for your children every day. I noticed in this passage of scripture that Jesus or that 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 Moses says, These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, it says in verse six, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. And when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. The idea is you're always with your kids. And the idea is you're, you're spending time with them all the time, and you're communicating with them all the time about what Jesus did. I tell people this. I was very, very bad at family devotions. I, I, I have heroes in my mind that I can hear standing up saying, have family altar. You need to have family altar. And, I'm, uh, and uh, I didn't even know, understand what family altar was. And, and uh, uh, you, need to, you need to have uh, devotions with your family. And I tried that. I mean, I tried to sit down and say, okay, you sit here and you sit here. And we're just, I'm going to read the Bible and we're going to pray together. And it was always just crazy. I blame my kids uh, for not having good family devotions because I would, my, my two sons would start acting up. Matthew would, would, would irritate jo Joshua and then Joshua would do something stupid and all the girls would be laughing. And I'd think, man, this is just the toughest thing in the world to have family devotions. I mean, how do you do that? So I, I, I tried all sorts of different things. But I found this. I found out that, that, if I, that we, well, we just made a practice to talk about Jesus all the time. Wherever we went, whatever we did, we talked about the Lord. We'd drive down the road and we'd see something. I'd talk, I'd say, hey, look at over there. And I would talk about the Lord. We'd go to national parks uh, and say, look what God has done. And we'd point out what God had done. We'd go look at the stars at night. Uh, we would, we'd be out swimming in the swimming pool. And I, I would... I would baptize them all and explain to them what baptism was. I, I would, I would uh, I, and, and have fun with them. Uh, we talked about Jonah and the whale. I can remember uh, one time. I remember I was driving down the road one time. We did this so often. I'm driving down the road, and I looked over to my left, and I saw something. I said, hey, kids, look over there. And from the back seat, Matthew, 11 years old, says, I feel an object lesson coming on. Uh, we, we would just always talk about the things of God. We just did that, and we, we wanted to pour that into them. Um, all the time at dinner table, I can remember years ago when I, I, we, we were just talking, and, and Josh was like listening very intently, listening to what I'm uh, saying, and, and uh, so I, I, I realized, I, I started talking about a, a little boy that gotten had gotten, that was being re, re, really rebellious in his home, and uh, Josh was like really intently listened, and I thought, maybe he's really wanting to hear it. So I, I talked to him about this little, and then I made up a story about this little boy. He disobeyed God, and he, he knew what was right, and he disobeyed God, and, and he disobeyed his mom, and he disobeyed his dad, and, and he knew that he needed to get saved, but he didn't get saved, and, and, and I, said, I said, the little boy, uh, went to church and he had an opportunity to trust Christ but he didn't trust Christ and that home that night they went home and he got in a car accident and that little boy died without receiving Jesus and Joshua's jaw just dropped and I said what's wrong Josh he said I've not received Jesus I said do you want to and Joshua said yes and we went in the back room and Joshua received Jesus Christ as his savior that night uh, we just talked about uh, we talked about uh, Jesus all the time. Now, I wasn't good, like I said, at family devotions, but one thing I decided I was going to do very early on was I was going to pray for my children every single day. I went to a 
men's conference and a, and a camp that's not far from our church called Ironwood Camp. It's two and a half hours away. It's out in the desert. There was a men's conference and there was, these, there was a preacher that got up and he started talking about, about preacher's kids. And he, started, he told about a preacher's kid who got off and got involved in immorality and ruined his whole life by b- being involved in premarital sex. And, and I thought, man, that's terrible. I, at that point, only had Matthew and Joshua. They were young, and I thought, man, that's horrible. And then I, he, he told another story about a preacher whose kids wound up being alcoholics and ruined their lives uh, it, with alcoholism. And they talked about another, another preacher's kid who ruined its life by getting involved in drugs, drug abuse, and that kind of thing. And he, he talked, he just went on and on. I thought, man, this is horrible. And man, I'm sitting there as a young pastor with, with my, with, uh, these, uh, this preacher, and a, a, a song went through my mind from the 1960s. Diana Ross sang a song called The Only One That Could Ever Reach Me was the sweet-talking son of a preacher's man. And that was, song was going through my mind. I thought, man, how horrible that is, that preacher's kids get this reputation that they're immoral and they're bad and they ruin their lives. How does that happen? And man, my heart was ripped out. And when the service was over, the, everybody went off and did games and that kind of stuff. I went to a little area in the back of that that uh, chapel, there was a little grassed area under some mesquite trees, and I got down on my face and I said, God, I don't care. I don't care if we ever have any kind of ministry, ever. I don't care who knows me. I don't care how much money we have. I don't care how big our church is. I don't care if we ever have any property. I don't care about any of that. I just want my children to serve you. I pray God my children will live for you. I want my children to serve you. I want my children to serve you. I am not eloquent in any of my prayers. I just begged God. I don't know if I was down there for 20 minutes or for two hours, but I begged God over and over, God, let my children live for you. I prayed and asked God, and I determined that day I was going to pray for my children every single day. Pray that they would be saved young. Pray that they would love Jesus. Pray that they would serve him. I made a commitment, and I started praying. I started praying every single day for my children, that they would, that they would be saved, that they would serve the Lord, and that God would give them a godly spouse. I now, as I said, have 19 grandchildren. There's a total of 30 of us in our family. This morning, I prayed for every single one of my children and my grandchildren I prayed for my wife. I prayed for every one of our children and grandchildren. I prayed for them. I prayed for my oldest granddaughter. She's 20 years old. She's beautiful. I I prayed. I said, God, I pray for Ashlyn. I pray she'll live for you and serve you all of her life. And I pray you'll give her a godly husband. I prayed for every one of my other granddaughters, the same thing. I I prayed for Daisy. Daisy is 14 months old. 14 months, Anna? 14 months. Where's Anna? Anna, there you are. Okay, 14 months, right? Okay, so, so I prayed for Daisy. I said, Lord, I pray for Daisy. I pray that she'll live for you and serve you all of her life. I pray she'll be saved at a young age, and I pray you'll give her a godly husband. You might think, why in the world would you pray? She's only 14 months old. Why would you pray for a godly husband for her at 14 months old? Because I don't want to wait till she's 18 years old, and she brings home some idiot. And then I have to pray, God, kill that kid. Kill him. Kill him. I don't want to wait for that. I call it pre-prayer. Uh, pray ahead of time. I prayed for all of my, my boys that God would give them godly wives. I prayed for all my girls that God would give them godly husbands. I'm so thankful that God answers prayer and God protected them. Even with my stupidity, even with mistakes that I've made, God has heard and answered prayer. Pray for your children every single day. But let me tell you this. Don't just pray for them. Pray with them. Let them hear you pray. Now, you may be just like me. At the end of the day, I'm tired. I am not the most organized or systematic anything. But I, de- I determined that I was going to go and pray for them. Now, in, my, in our house, there was a wall that separated the girls' bedroom from the boys' bedroom. We had th- our three girls slept in one bedroom. Our two boys slept in the other bedroom. And there was a wall that separated 
them. There was a door that went this way into the girls' bedroom. There was a door that went this way into the boys' bedroom. So I could stand right there in the doorway, and I could pray for all of them. So I would go upstairs, and I'd say, come on, get ready, get in bed, get in bed, get in bed, get in bed. Come on, come on, come on, come on. And then they were all just, and finally they would get in bed. And then I'd start praying for them. I pray, Lord, I pray for Matthew that he'll live for you and serve you all his life and you give him a godly wife. Now, if they asked me to pray for something specifically, I would do that. They'd pray, for, pray for John's uh, uncle. He just went into the hospital. I'd pray for John's uncle. But if not, I would pray the same thing every day. Is that vain repetition? No. God tells us to keep on praying for the things that we really care about. Vain repetition means you don't care. You're just saying the same words over and over again. It means nothing to you. I want my children to live for the Lord. I want my children to be saved young. I want my children to serve God. I want my children to have godly spouses. I pray for Matthew that he'll live for you and serve you all his life. I pray you'll give him a godly wife. I pray for, for, for Joshua that he'll live for you and serve you all his life. You give him a godly, you'll give him a godly wife. I pray for Charity that she'll live for you and serve you all her life and you'll give her a godly husband. And I did that with the other two. Very seldom and I really want to emphasize this, very seldom did we ever have anybody spend the night in our home. There was, however, one girl named Brianna who we knew from the time she was very little. She was my oldest daughter's best friend. Her name, uh, my, my oldest daughter, Charity, had her best friend. Her name was Brianna. <clears throat> Brianna and her were prayer partners, and they were very, very, they loved the Lord, and and I knew that it was a safe situation. So Brianna would spend the night from time to time. Well, when Brianna was there, I would pray for her too. I'd say, Lord, I pray for Brianna. I pray she'll live for you and serve you all of her life. And I pray you'd give her a godly husband. Well, our kids grew up and Matthew went off to college. And he was there at college for four years. After four years, he, he hadn't found a wife. I, I, I thought, he must be slow or something, but uh, there was four years. He graduated from college, and he came back, and he worked as our youth director. Well, when he, was, when he came back as a youth director, Charity was just getting ready to go off to college, and, uh, and her friend Brianna was going off to college with her, and they left and went to, to college. Uh, I said to Matthew one day, I said, Matt, what's the deal? There was all sorts of pretty girls that you met at college and, and you were dating them and, and, and then it, it never happened. What, what's the deal? He said, Dad, he said, here's the deal. Don't bug me about this. He said, he said, he said I'm, I'm waiting. He said, I, he said, when I see a girl and I, I see her and, I, and I, I wanna, I wanna, the girl I want to marry, I'm going to look at her and I'm going to say, wow. And that's the girl that I'm going to marry. I said, well, I hope she says wow back. Uh, I mean, you know, you know, the fact is, Barbie may not want you. She, you may not be her Ken, you know, that's the deal. And you need to understand that. So, uh, but he said, that's what, I, I said, okay. So I didn't b bug him about it. Well, a year went by and, and uh, Charity came home from, uh, from uh, college. And Brianna came home from college. And they, they came in from college, and, and uh, we were at the church, and, and uh, uh, there was Matthew and, and me, and, and, and Charity came in. And I said, oh, we hugged them, and it was great. It was great. Matthew's hugging Charity. And then after she hugged Charity, Brianna walks in. And Matt looks over and says, whoa, Brianna. That sounded a lot like wow to me. <laughs> and from that point on, Brianna never spent the night at our house, and uh, <laughs> we were very careful about that. A year and a half later, I was doing a wedding, and uh, uh, Brianna's father was walking her down the aisle. I got the privilege of marrying Matthew and Brianna, and, uh, and uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful thing. After the service, they went back to uh, the back to the foyer, and there was a receiving line. And so I, I went out to, to, to hug Matthew, and I went to hug him, and I hugged him and told him I loved him. Then I went to hug Brianna, and she grabbed my hands, and she said, Dad, she said, um, she said, remember? She said, remember when you used to come into the room at night? And she said, you'd pray, 
God, give Matthew a godly wife. And remember you used to pray for me that God would give me a godly husband? You prayed for us twice, she said that night. It's one of those precious things in the world. I'm so glad I prayed for them every night. Listen, I'm tired. I, there's no, at, on, on, in the evening, I want to just go to bed. I'd pray that prayer. I'd just pray, go through it, and then I'd say, and God, let, help them to sleep tonight. Just let them go to sleep and don't wake up uh, for a long time. <laughs> and then I'd go to bed. I mean, it, it wasn't like some super spiritual thing that we worked up to. It's just out loud, letting your children hear you pray for them. I cannot tell you how important that is. When my grandson, Jonathan, was eight years old, he was spending the night at grandma and grandpa's house, and it was time for him to go to bed, and so I went into his room. I tucked him in. I put my hand on his back, and I said, I pray for Jonathan. He's eight years old. I said, and now he's 20. I, I said to him, John, I, I said, Lord, I pray for Jonathan. I pray he'll live for you and serve you all of his life. I pray you'll give him a godly wife. And I heard, whoa, 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 whoa. I said, what? You can't interrupt me. I'm praying. He said, he said, you don't pray that. I'm not getting married, Grandpa. <laughs> it's so important that they hear you pray. My, I, I asked him recently, I said, do you still want me to not pray? Oh, no, please. Uh, pray for me, Grandpa. My kids believe that God answers my prayers, and the reason they do is because they've heard me pray day after day after day after day after day. Nothing super spiritual about that. It's just a dad saying, God, I want my children to serve you and letting them know that I want that. And they'll, they, they'll believe that, you, that God hears and answers prayer. I'm going to tell you one more story. I walked in about nine years ago now, is it? Or is it ten? Nine years ago. Walked into my office, and uh, it was late September. Walked into my office, and I... Uh, my daughter-in-law, Brianna, was there, and two of my daughters were there, and they were crying. And I said, uh, what's wrong? What's, what's going on? They said, Brianna just came back from the hospital, or from the doctor's office. She was pregnant. She was supposed to have the baby in two weeks. She said, um, or four weeks, I guess. They said, the doctor just said that she has what's called Danny Walker syndrome. The baby has Danny Walker syndrome. They showed sonograms of their brain. Brains are supposed to be interconnected. Two lobes are supposed to be interconnected. Those, the lobes of the baby's brains are not connected. They said, they told Brianna today that that baby will be totally and completely deformed. That baby will not function. The baby's probably not going to live but a few minutes after it comes out of her womb. Uh, that the baby's just going to be, if it does, it'll, be, it'll live as a vegetable the rest of its life. And they recommended an abortion. And that, of course, was out of the question. Brianna said, what are we going to do? I said, we're going to pray. I said, uh, we, we, we've prayed. I said, let me say this. We have prayed every day since you told us that we were going to have a baby. We've prayed every single day that that baby would be healthy and whole physically, mentally, and spiritually. And that it would be saved at a young age. We've prayed that God would protect it and God would protect you. We've prayed that every single day. God answers prayer. So we're just going to keep praying. And we're going to ask more people to pray. Um, we, we, we prayed and asked people across this country to pray. Um, Jeremy Pittman, one of my, my uh, Matthew's best friends, he said, he called Jeremy and he said, Jeremy, would you pray for for uh, for my my son, and they told him the situation. Jeremy said, "I'm going to fast and pray until we hear from you," and he did. I think it was a total of ten days. He fasted and prayed. All these people in his church were going to fast and pray, and he said, "No, you can't fast and pray because you're not well enough to do that. You can one day you can fast, but I'm going to fast and pray till the baby." I, I, we started praying. I, about 10 days later, I was at the, um, I was in, at West Coast Baptist College, and we were recruiting summer missionaries, 
and uh, we were in the middle of something, I got a text from uh, a man named uh, Joel Mullinex, who was the president then, or the vice president of, of Pensacola Christian College, and he said, I just was burdened, uh, burden was on my heart to pray for you today, I want you to know I'm praying for you. I said, I text back and said, thank you, I appreciate that. He said, I'm praying for your family. Then I got a text from Paul Chapel. Paul Chapel said, hey brother, I just want you to know God burdened my heart to pray for you today. I don't know what it's, what's uh, going on with your family, but I'm, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. Within five minutes of each other, they got that phone call. It never happened to me before. Then I got a phone call from my son. My son said, Dad, we have to go in, pray, because right now we just found out we have to go to, uh, in for an emergency C-section or the baby's not going to make it. So they ran in to the emergency C-section. I'm four hours away from from uh, from Las Vegas, I'm at, at uh, in Lancaster, California. There's nothing between those those two areas but desert, and and so there's no way of keeping in contact on the phone. So we I, we packed up our stuff very quickly, threw it in the car, and drove back as fast as we could, and we prayed. God, you know the situation. God, we're just asking you to protect that baby. We came. We got to the hospital four hours later. We walked, um, walked down the hall, walked into the door. When I walked into the door of the room where Matt and Brianna were, was, Brianna was on a bed. I could see the top of her head, and Matthew's back was to the door. And so I didn't know what was going on. I said, Matt, we're here. And he said, oh, Dad, come in. I, came, I walked over to where he was, and there was Brianna holding the baby, and there was Matt and my wife and I. I said, what happened? He said, Dad, they brought in five specialists. There were five specialists. They had the NICU ready. They, they, they were going to run this baby Im immediately to NICU. They were going to take care of it. But when the baby was born, they took it very quickly and took it and examined it. They took it through five different tests. They went through everything, Dad. And they came back and they said, this baby is perfectly normal. Absolutely nothing wrong with this baby. There's a test that they give, it's a one to 10, and it on, they'll only grade up to a nine. They got a, a point or a nine on that. Amazing. They named the baby Luke. And so I held it in my hand and I said, Luke, I am your grandfather. <laughs> that baby, I said, I said, that baby's as normal as any Tice baby could ever be because God hears and answers prayer. Can you say amen to that? Amen. You need to pray for your children every single day. Pray for your children every single day. Let them hear you pray for them. Number two. We're only going to go through two points. Don't worry. I said 13, but we're only going to go through two points this morning. Number two, this is so, so important. Play with your children. Play with your children. Every Monday, we took Mondays off as a family. Every Monday. This was back when they were telling people, I, if you're a preacher, you need a preacher. You're a preacher 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And that's, what, and I, that's true. I am a preacher, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But I decided I was going to spend one day a week pastoring just my family. I was going to spend time with them, and, I, and we did that every Monday. We, we spent time with our family every Monday. When, when, when people were saying, I, I, I know preachers who've said this. They've said, well, I've, we just haven't had a family vacation for six years. I'm just busy serving God. I think, no, you're not busy serving God. You're doing something wrong because you need to take a vacation with your family. We took family vacations. Whenever we could, we spent time doing fun things with our family. We watched TV with them. We watched movies with them. Not, you know, I'll talk about positive replacement. I'm not talking about garbage stuff. I'm talking about having fun with your children. We went to amusement parks with our children. We went to water parks with our children. We spent all sorts of time with our children. We just enjoyed our children. And by the way, you don't have to spend lots of money to have fun with your children. 
Sometimes we would just go out in the desert and find bottles and throw rocks and bottles out in the desert. And you can't go out in the desert here, uh, but you can go out in the woods and have fun or whatever. I, I can remember what I would do on Saturdays. On Saturdays, I would I'd be out vi on visitation. I'd be visiting uh, either door knocking or going, making visits to people that had visited the church. That's what, that was typically what I did on Saturdays. But while I was doing that, I would be thinking, what can I do that's fun on Monday? I'm broke. What am I going to do this, this Sunday or this Monday that's, that's going to be fun? And one day while I was out, I, I, it hit me. When I was a kid, when I was a junior age kid, I would go out with my friends and we would go lizard hunting. This, would, this was a great fun thing that we did. We would, we would go out lizard hunting. And, and out in the desert, there's all sorts of lizards. There's these great big, these are, this is the, the prize. There's whiptail lizards. They, they look, they're long and sleek, and they have like, there's like snakes with legs on them. And they're really cool. Then there's these little snub-nosed lizards that are about this big, and I don't know what they are, but they're just, we call them snub-nosed lizards. And then there's these big blow lizards that, well, they're cool. When you grab them, they puff up like this, and their spines come out in the back. Then there's horny toads. There's all sorts of lizards out, out there. And, and when I was a kid, we'd, we'd go out lizard hunting. I thought, I've never taken my kids lizard hunting. They'll enjoy this. This will be a fun thing. It'll cost me nothing, and they'll think this is great. They spent time with Dad lizard hunting. So I go home that evening, and I say, honey, I got something fun we're going to do uh, on Monday. And she said, what? I said, we're going to take the kids lizard hunting. She said, what? I said, we're going to go, go lizard hunting. She said, out in the desert? Now, my wife grew up in western Pennsylvania, so she doesn't know a whole lot about the desert. Uh, but she does have some doubts about my mental ability at times. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, so, so I said, um, I said, yeah. She said, uh, David, there's snakes out in the desert. I said, oh, honey, I was out in the desert all the time as a kid, never saw a snake. But she said, there's snakes. I said, I said, we will not find snakes. Everything will be fine. Just believe me. Now, if you've never done this, if you've never gone lizard hunting, let me give you some expert advice here. What you do when you go lizard hunting with a, with a group of, of guys, you, you get four or five junior age guys or junior high age guys, and you, you go out, you find a piece of paper or a piece of tin or a piece of wood, something that has been thrown out in the desert. People throw their trash out there all the time. So you go out there and you, uh, and, and you get guys, they surround the piece of wood and then you grab that. Now here's the rules. You grab it and you're, you're very quiet. You throw the thing back and when you throw the thing back, then you spot the lizard that's under there because it, it's getting the insulation from the, from the heat. So you see the, 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 uh, the lizard and then all, all five or six guys jump on the lizard and the, the hand that gets the lizard is the one that gets to keep the lizard if the lizard survives. Okay, so, so that's, that's the deal. Okay, so... So that's the rules of the game. Now, there's one other thing that you need to know about the desert. Out in the desert, there's this stuff called blow sand. Now, blow sand is like a very powdery uh, sand that, that uh, over a period of time, as it blows through the desert, it, just, it could fill up a pothole, a big pothole this big could be filled up with blow sand. And if you're driving down the uh, dirt road, you can hit that, that and you, you won't even see it because it's just blow sand, and you'll hit it and you go down poof, it, uh, this stuff will poof up and uh, you're stuck in a hole. Uh, it's, it's, that's blow sand. Okay, now you needed to know that for me to tell the rest of the story. So I said to my wife, now let me, let me, um, let, we're going to go out. And so like, we get the kids and she agrees with me. She said, David, I'm not sure about this, but if you want to do it. So we, we get out and we drive, we get in this little old car and we're driving out in the middle of the desert. And, and then I spot it. I spot out on the middle of the road that we're driving down, this dirt road, somebody has dropped off a box spring. And, you know, box springs are not very heavy. And I thought, that's perfect. Man, that's insulation. There'll be, there'll be a lizard under there. I said, honey, there'll be a lizard under there for sure. She said, David, there could be a snake under there. I said, there's not going to be a snake. And she, she said, okay. Now, I have Matt, Matt over here. He's about 13. I have Josh here. Uh, at, uh, he's 11. And I have Charity and Faith 
Hope is, is, is uh, about 18 months old, and so I have her, because I don't want her to miss out on this, and I have her underneath my arm like this, and I'm holding her, and I reach, um, I, I say, okay, now we've got to be real quiet. You get here, you get here, you get here, you get here. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull this thing up. When I do, you're going to see a lizard. There'll be a lizard under there. And as soon as it's done, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and get it. And you try to get it. And so uh, they said, okay, so my wife is 15 feet back here. <laughs> and she's watching this. And uh, I, I grabbed the box spring and I flip it up. And when I flipped it up, just exactly like I thought, there was a little snub-nosed lizard. It wasn't the coolest lizard, but it was a snub-nosed lizard. I thought, good, the kids are going to know that I, I, I know how to catch lizards. And so I flipped the thing up, and I go down to get it. When I go down, I bend down like this, and I put hope on her feet. Now, she's standing there like this. What I did not see, I saw the lizard, but I did not see was there was a, a, a hole here that was filled with blow sand. In that blow sand, there was a three-foot rattlesnake. My wife, however, 15 feet back here, saw what I did not see right there. And I heard as I went down on my knees with her and put her down, I heard David, this is all in slow motion in my mind, David, there's a snake! I put hope, and I'm thinking, in my mind, I thought, it's a lizard. And I put hope down. Hope is standing there doing this, and that snake comes up and looks at her eyeball to eyeball as I'm going for the lizard. And I thought, my wife was right again. <laughs> so we, I grabbed hope. We all went back. I've had people say to me, if a snake goes up like that, it's there to strike. That's what it's there for. I think it was so dazzled uh, by, I don't know what, just God protected us. See, why do you tell that story? Because you should have fun with your family. <laughs> These are great memories. What I'm saying is this, that our children remember having fun. My children, a couple years ago, or a few years ago when we when we, when we finished this book, Raising God's Kids in Sin City, my kids said, we got to push this on the internet. So we're going to get on and we're going to do a podcast and we're going to do a live broadcast on Facebook and we're going to do this whole stuff on YouTube and we're going to talk about this book. I said, you guys, all five of you are going to do that? Yeah, it's good. we're going to talk about what it's like to be raised in your family. I thought, man, that's a dangerous thing. And we didn't watch it for about a year and a half. And then after that, my wife and I watched it. And the one thing that I noted that they said over and over and over again was this. They said, we had fun. The word fun, 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 fun. Listen, I think being a Christian is the greatest life in the world. Say amen to that. We should, we should be out enjoying our children all the time. They should be enjoying us. It is a great and wonderful thing to be a child of God, to be in the family of God. And your children should know, hey, I had fun with my family. You need to pray for your children every single day. You need to let them hear you pray for them. <clears throat> and you need to play with your children. Have fun with your children. And if you do that, they'll grow up loving the ministry and not despising it. Let's bow for prayer. Father, help us to take the truth of your word. Help us to be convicted that we would want our children to love you with all their hearts and soul and might. And help us to teach them to do that by praying for them, by praying with them, and by playing with them. God, help us to take time and understand that the most important thing we can do as parents is to raise our kids for the glory of God. As grandparents, to influence our, children, our grandchildren to live for you and serve you. 
Father, if there's somebody here that does not know you as Lord and Savior and God, I pray for their salvation right now, today. I pray you'll work in their lives. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed and no one's looking around. I want to ask a question. Do you know for sure if you died right now, you would go to heaven? Are you absolutely sure that if you died right now, you'd go to heaven? If you are, would you slip up your hand as a testimony to that? Yes, I know I'm going to heaven, no doubt in my mind. Thank you, you can put your hand down. Maybe you couldn't raise your hand. Maybe you'd say, preacher, I don't know I'm going to heaven. I'd like to know I'm going to heaven. I want you to understand, you're not going to get there by being good, by, by being baptized, by joining a church, or anything. Good works won't get you to heaven. The Bible says that you're a sinner just like me. Jesus died to pay for your sin. He was buried, he rose from the dead for you so you could have eternal life. And the only way you can receive Christ, only way you can have eternal life and know you're going to heaven is by receiving what Jesus did for you, asking him to give you eternal life. If you've never done that, you can do that right now today. Maybe by an uplifted hand you'd say, preacher, pray for me. I didn't raise my hand a minute ago. I don't know for sure I'm going to heaven. And I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just going to say, let me pray for you. And I'll tell you exactly what you need to pray in order to know you're going to heaven. If that's you, would you say, preacher, pray for me? I don't know that I've ever done that. I want to know I'm going to heaven. Please pray for me. Would you slip up your hand? Nobody's looking around but me. I'd like to pray for you. Anybody at all. I don't know for sure if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. But I'd like to know that. Hold it up long enough and high enough for me to see. And I'm looking. I'm looking. Okay. I don't see any hands going up whatsoever. Let me say this. If maybe you're a little intimidated and you don't feel like you should raise your hand or you can raise your hand. I'm telling you this. Jesus said, if you come to me, I will not cast you out. If you want to, right now, you can, where you're seated, you can say these words to Jesus and he'll hear you. Just whisper these words to him. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that you are God. I know that you died to pay for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead, proving you're God. And right now, in the best way I know how, I call on you and ask you to be my Lord and my Savior and my God. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Help me now to live for you. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you personally just asked Jesus to give you eternal life, he, he did. Parents, let me ask you this. Would you just say to the Lord, Lord, help me to remember to pray for my children every day and pray with them. Grandparents, would you make a commitment to pray for your children? Would you make a commitment to spend time playing with your children and grandchildren? Would you make that commitment? Because I'm telling you, nobody will make more of an impression in their lives than you. And we're commanded, just like the children of Israel were, to bring up our children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. We're commanded to teach our children to love God with all their heart, soul, and mind. And you'll do that if you pray with them and you play with them. Preacher.